Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Hamford from What Culture, to review everything that happened on AEW Dynamite this weekend. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet to review AEW Dynamite. Michael Sidgwick, busy working on his project, which is very close to completion, so he'll be missing from a few of our podcasts these coming weeks. But Hamlet, let's talk about this Dynamite, because this show was all over the bloody place. Yeah, um... Not an all-time dynamite, not the sort of uh, dynamite that perhaps speaks to how hot AEW has felt this summer, but um, better than, I would say, the what we've come to expect from the standard of these Saturday dynamites. A, a good show, an eventful show, the type of show that didn't feel, and I know the comparison is maybe not as, as fair as it might once have been, because I've that run of particularly lousy Saturday Dynamites took place mostly in the half-full Daily's place. Mm-hmm. You remember the very, very tail end of the pandemic. Um, so maybe that comparison is not as fair as it used to be, but I don't know. These Saturday Night Dynamites come with a certain reputation. I think there were points where this flew above that reputation. And then something at the very end that, mm-hmm. well, like I just think is generating a, a lot of discussion, all of it valid. And I guess we'll get to that. Mm, yeah, controversial conclusion to Dynamite. I've been looking forward to getting your thoughts on this all day long. Before you start at the beginning of the show, it was the first match in the World Championship Eliminator Tournament for Brian Danielson. He took on Dustin Rhodes um, for, the, for the right to face either Lance Archer or Eddie Kingston, of course, who fought later on in the evening. This was a hell of a way to start the show. Uh, Danielson torturing Dustin Rhodes quite early on, just manipulating him, uh, going after his, I mean, stamped on his elbow at one point, but he mainly he was targeting the legs, chopping down the bigger man, etc. cetera. Uh, and still Dustin Rhodes doing stuff that pops me every time, flipping sent on off the apron as he fought <laughs> back. Uh, just looked great. They fight on the top rope. Dustin hits a superplex uh, and then they battle for a for near fall. Danielson runs the ropes. Uh, and then he suddenly gets hit with the snap power slam from Dustin Rhodes and he hits the curtain call for a near fall. 
Danielson lays in those yes kicks as he's been doing alongside chops throughout the match. And then Dustin just suddenly fires up and they trade strikes back and forth. Um, we've seen Dustin uh, on several occasions in this match hit that drop down right hand synonymous with the Rhodes family, of course. Uh, at one point, Danielson countered that into a backslide. I thought that was great. Hit him with an Inseguri. Uh, nailed him with those curb stomps of his where he just grabs the hands, stamps on the bloke's head, uh, looks for that running knee of his uh, that I can never really pronounce. Uh, Dustin, though, surprises him with a lariat and a pile driver for a near fall as well. In the end, Danielson catches him with a jumping guillotine, locks on the body scissors and gets the finish as the referee calls the match off. Another different finish from Brian Danielson. What an asset he is to them, but also credit to Justin Rose for this match as well, Hamlet. Yeah, a superb opener and everything we could have hoped for without being this instant five-star classic. Dustin Rhodes is 52 years old, I think he is, and um, if I am half as nimble as he is at that age, I'll be very, very pleased with myself. And I say all that to say that sometimes he can look his age more than others. Yeah. Um, I really don't mean that as a particularly brutal criticism. Like, because he can surprise you with what he can do, you kind of forget. And then every now and then he kind of looks tired and weary. And I just thought they played with that magnificently here. Um, they got just about enough of Dustin Rhodes's. Uh, old cowboy hitting the old dusty trail one last time can I still do it romance before he was dealt the cruel blow of reality or in this case several cruel blows <laughs> as Brian laid those boots in in that curb stomp spot and that was one of the ones that stuck out to me but there were several here where they just perfectly measured how important not just the age gap because against another guy Brian's an old veteran isn't he age is uh, a very sort of malleable um, device in yeah. pro wrestling because if Daniel Bryan was fighting, excuse me, Brian Danielson was fighting Jungle Boy, then he'd be the old veteran. But you <laughs> wouldn't position him as this guy that has to counter with something like a desperation pile driver, which is what Dustin Rhodes did here. <laughs> so it's very different how he uses the, the different scales of age and veteran for the benefit of different matches. And I just thought that this that story was told magnificently. Brian Danielson was so much more in control of this mm. than he ever really wanted to reveal until he absolutely had to. He didn't want to, he's a baby face and he's respectful of the Rhodes legacy and indeed of his of his new sort of second life here in AEW. And he didn't want to have to get cruel, but he was sort of forced to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't want to patronise Dustin Rhodes and he didn't want to break every bone in his body and he didn't want to concuss him and all of these things. But Rhodes had more fire in his belly than Brian O'Donnison was ready for. So he sort of had to. And you even saw them after the match. He, he did that celebration where he put his arms out, where he doesn't do the yes champ, but he puts his arms out and allows the audience to do that. And then he sort of went and checked on Dustin mm. to make sure that this 52-year-old man hadn't been concussed by the boots <laughs> and all the other strikes to the head that he went for. You know, those kicks at the end after the, uh, was it a brain buster that mm. Dustin was going for? And Brian just counted out and basically Suzuki'd him. And said, oh, I'm, I've gone for pervert now and I'm going to finish it. And obviously he knocks him out with another, as, you know, kind of has been has been laboured on over, and rightfully so, over social media over the weekend, the fourth Brian match with the fourth theoretical finisher that he can use because it's great building up this, this base of different ways to beat a man. I would fully expect him to win every tournament match a different way mm. to show that he's the complete professional wrestler, a threat to Kenny Omega, a threat indeed to the potential world champion, whoever that may be down the road. Um, really, really, really well done 
um, without ever, I think, it never, it just never patronised the viewer. The result was never in doubt, but like the hope spots were never actual hope, if that makes sense. Like Rhodes' fire-ups mm. didn't make it, they never made a believer out of you. The, the trick wasn't for you to find the 1% of doubt that Dustin Rhodes might get this done. Yeah. It was just to make, it was just to kind of force Brian Danielson to have to get a touch nastier to get it over the line. And I quite like that because he's got to show that. His theme tune tells people they're going to get their head kicked in. <laughs> and, and one of these days, that's probably going to inform like an awesome heel turn. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's just there to remind you that this guy, he's got a big smile on his face, but that smile hides the very, very nasty and dangerous things he can do because the American Dragon's back. Yes, exactly. No, I couldn't agree more with that. And uh, yeah, terrifying prospect, Brian Danielson, like you say, with all these skills in his arsenal and yeah, ways to finish matches, as we've just seen showcased over his opening few matches here in AEW. Uh, following that, we go backstage. Uh, some reason, focusing on the feet and shoes of the likes of the Young Bucks. <laughs> uh, the elite are there, though. It's the Young Bucks, uh, Adam Cole and Kenny Omega. Um, they reveal that they're going to be facing the Dark Order next week, or I suppose this week now. And Omega addresses Hangman Page, talking about their history together, saying that he was always championship material, but Page was simply cosplaying as a cowboy. He talks about him filling diapers and all that. He goes after Page's insecurities, basically. He's terrified of failure. And uh, he said, if the people knew you the way I know you, they'd be chanting, coward instead of cowboyish. I think we had a better line, I've got to be honest. I, I thought they were going to do it. I was honestly sat there at the edge of my seat waiting for them to use the Wilborn line, cowboy bulls, but we didn't get it. We got, yeah, we got a cat. It's not bad. What about chicken as well? Yeah. That's another one I thought of, um, you know. Anyway, all fine, all good. The trainers think, I am not a part of uh, trainer culture of, uh, you know, what it's probably actually called in for American listeners, sneakers. I don't know my way around them, right? Um, was this was this 4D chess stuff where they were wearing like Jordan mids or standard Nikes because I wanted them all in Asics and Vans because those were the ones that Top Dollar went for for some reason. <laughs> Top does specifically. So I thought that was a, a, a cute reference to it at least. Um, and it's probably as much as we're going to get out of this mini mini sort of online rivalry between the two sides, isn't it? Yeah, good, because I think they're all losers in it. If you're spending that <laughs> amount of money on shoes, you need your head examined, if I'm honest. So I just I, like I don't understand. It's like kids arguing about TikTok now. I'm just like, well, this has passed me by. I have no idea and I have no desire to know about it. We've had tweets, bios and an actual diss track. And Adam Wilborn has just dominated them all with one line on a podcast. <laughs> Turns out they were both losers and I was the winner. Well, there you go. Yeah, the guy who plays D&D on the weekends. That's a real winner, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, we get a promo as well following that from uh, FTR, uh, flanked by Tully Blanchard. They're talking about the Lucha Bros. They want to win back. You know, they've got the AAA Tag Team titles, but now they want to win the AEW World Tag Team Championships again to cement their legacy as the top tag team of all time. They lost the titles, of course, at full gear last year and they've watched these tag teams Cosplayers, great champions for the last year. Now they're ready to get their belts back. Uh, Penta responds, Alex Translate, uh, saying, look, they hurt Phoenix. They took their titles. If they want to play dirty, the Lucha Bros will show them dirty. Revenge is coming. And FTR respond to that somehow, knowing what Alex Abrahantos was going to say, uh, saying that if they think that, Alex, if you think that black eye is bad, just you wait till full gear. Top guys out. 
I love FTR. They've really hit their stride with promos, haven't they, recently? Yeah. Um, the I didn't imagine that the um, the belts would look so fitting on FTR. Mm. You know, there's a couple of frogs. It almost feels like they've mocked the process a little bit. And yet they've got these titles and they feel really prestigious. And you kind of think they might do, they might shoot title for title at mm. full gear. And that adds a little bit of spice to this. Um, playing dirty and revenge for the attack on Alex Abrahantes. Uh, is Tully Blanchard going to eat a destroyer? From Alex Abrahantes? <laughs> yeah, from Alex Abrahantes. <laughs> is that what's going to happen here? The move that FTR would resent the most, basically, and the most deadly and dirty being done to Tully Blanchard in his senior year, I think is uh, is something I'll be up for. And it, again, like to sort of echo my thoughts on the Rampage stuff, I'm not wild for this, but uh, they're doing the work. Mm. I, I kind of complain about the focus and attention that this feud's getting. And it does feel like a proper pay-per-view defence for the Lucha Brothers. Yeah. And it's perhaps a sign of how spoiled um, we are with all the amazing matches these days and all the amazing combinations, because it's such a great time to be a wrestling fan. Um, <laughs> you've got all these dream matches and people are swapping belts. It's such a great time to be a wrestling fan. <laughs> um, but the fact that this match has happened twice and maybe the FTR's run at points is underwhelmed is maybe the only thing stopping this being exhilarating. Mm. Because 12 months ago, if somebody said, oh, you're going to get FTR and the Lucha Brothers in a tag team title main event in a pay-per-view, you'd be doing, well, FTR would hate it, but you'd be doing backflips. <laughs> it feels like the more that like crowds have come back and dream matches have shown themselves and there's been all these sort of things, something like this goes on the back burner a little bit. It'll, I'm talking myself into this, but I, I, this will rule on the night. We'll go and be like, oh yeah, cool. It'll absolutely knock our tits off on the night. Yeah, I've got to agree. Yeah, like I said, and we mentioned it in the, the Rampage uh, review as well. I'd have FTR win the tag titles, hold everything, uh, because... The Lucha Bros have gone in far too emotional. Uh, but we shall see. And like you say, Alex Abraham is hitting a destroyer on. Tully Blanchard would be one hell of a sight. Could they not just, uh, all this fussing and all this feuding, could they not just exchange them? Good point. Very good point. They should just do that. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. I'm going to read some things now that are not the views of myself, the Daddy Boys, or anyone in what culture wrestling. They're the views of MJF, because we have to talk about this Sting and MJF segment. Sting comes out to be interviewed by Tony Schiavone and address the situation with Darby Allen, who, of course, keeps no-showing after that. Um, mysterious attack we saw weeks ago. No, still no idea. We're still no closer. Tony seems to think he knows who it was, but I have yet to see any evidence to prove who it was that jumped uh, Darby Allen backstage. Uh, but before Sting can say anything, out comes MJF. Uh, he says he's not here to embarrass the icon. He wants a gentleman's chat. And if we all look deeply in our hearts and minds, we all know the truth. And that is that Darby Allen isn't coming back. He had some back and forth with the crowd here. Hey, fatso, I've got the mic. Uh, talks all about Florida, knowing most about gun violence. <laughs> about gun violence and incest. <laughs> that got me. And, oh, here we go. He says to Sting, well, Darby Allen, he's currently in the same spot as your good friend Lex Luger in a wheelchair. He can barely get these words out, of course, until uh, and Sting fires up, decks him. But of course, out come the rest of the pinnacle, or should I specifically say Wardlow and one of the most underrated men in wrestling today, Sean Spears, to attack Sting. 
Uh, Sting does fight them off. He even shrugged off a chair shot from the chairman. But as he turned around to face Sean Spears, Wardlow attacks him from behind. He gets laid out, basically. They lay in chair shots to his corpse on the floor by the end. And MJF sits down in a chair and addresses Alan, saying, has this broken you mentally, Darby? He insists that Darby Allen look at Sting and the, the crumpled heap he's sitting in right now. He says, look, the fans can chant your name all they want, but you will always be second best compared to me. I am the past, the present, and the future of professional wrestling. And they go to leave, and Sting, the old fool that he is, struggles to his feet, and so he gets nailed with that beautiful diamond ring of MJF's. As MJF lays out Sting, stands tall and closes out. A fire segment, Hamlet. What an immense, immense segment of television this. Uh, this really was. There, like, very, very low-level concerns. MJF has been incredible on the microphone for the last sort of two or three months now in particular. But I think there was a, a low level of concern about the... Um, the amount of heat in the MJF Darby Allen storyline because the beatdown on Darby was so profound. It was, uh, if, if it was indeed by the pinnacle, we have no confirmation. Yeah, well, yeah. But they, they kind of gave you this quite interesting hook of MJF, the guy that runs his mouth, not being able to get under Darby's skin by running his mouth. That was the sort of thing they threw out there as a right. So MJF's going to have to rethink this. Wasn't exactly an amazing master plan to put on balaclavas and deck him, was it? Like, <laughs> give this some thought. So that wasn't very. Yet again, it wasn't very. You know, the pinnacle are really on another level here. It was just they just put turtlenecks on and destroyed him. Like, <laughs> awesome, but uh, cool plan. So it, there was this sort of sense that ah, oh, maybe this wasn't quite. The match is going to be great. It's two pillars colliding. There's loads of drama and stakes, but maybe just a, the story on the way perhaps hasn't lived up to what they've set up. But it just turns out that you can just send MJF out there to generate yet more heat. <laughs> we always we always said that Sting getting attacked might be the play anyway. Mm. And it turns out they've put both of them in the hospital. They put Derby there first and then they've put Sting there afterwards when it seemed like the obvious thing to do would have just been to batter Sting to get to Derby. They've battered Derby so that he can't save Sting. Mm. which like they kind of got there in the end, but I have to give all the credit to MJF being so incredible on the microphone. Um, the Lex Luger line, right? So awesome because of course MJF would go there. Of course he would. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what he would think to say to get to Sting because he looks at the person he's speaking to and finds their weak spot, finds the thing that they will be most sensitive to and targets it. He says Lex Luger, the fans, the chorus of booze that fills the arena, rains down MJF. He waits and then says, in a wheelchair. <laughs> because he can get both. He can take the heat on two separate lines when everybody knew that was coming. Yeah. Like, MJF takes the implied bit and makes it explicit and gets an even bigger boo than, <laughs> than the delivery of Lex Luger's name. Like masterful, masterful work that shouldn't go understated because he didn't necessarily need to do that. The line was out there. Lex Luger was was the flashpoint, and he got it anyway. Sting's raging. Um, the beatdown was sublime because what's harder than a steel chair being swung by Sean Spears? Wardlow. That's what we know. <laughs> That's what we know about the things that Sting is impervious to. Doesn't like does not include Wardlow, which was great. 
Um, I don't know where, is this the right place in the review to bring it up or should we bring it up later? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll like drop a teaser and everyone will know exactly what I'm talking about. Odd that somebody in particular didn't save Sting when that somebody in particular was so keen to save somebody else later on in the show. We'll get to that a little bit later. We know Sting's got one more friend and that one more friend was in the building because he was elsewhere. So I, maybe I'm being picky there, but I feel like it's a little bit of a plot hole. But mm. we'll come to that when he does make his appearance later on. Um, because it needed Sting to take this paste in here. Had, had somebody saved him, it definitely would have like taken the bloom off the rose. This needed to be the pinnacle and MJF's big night. Um, and I love that Sting was still permitted that one put, one comeback so you can get the, the beautiful diamond ring attack as well. Um, end-to-end, magnificent. Somewhere, wherever he is, you know, in a hospital bed, filming some black and white jackass movie. I don't know. Wherever he is, <laughs> know that Darby Allen is... Whoa, he's really mad. <laughs> and uh, when he finished making a uh, sixth-form film noir about how mad he is, all joking aside, MJF's going to get his arse handed to him. And that's how you sell a pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, no, I adored this segment. Uh, and it was followed by a Britt Baker promo. She's backstage addressing the fact she's going to defend that uh, AEW Women's Championship against Tay Conti at full gear. She says, all Tay's done since she got to AEW is show people her ass. Uh, and uh, if Tay worked her way to the top, full gear would have been a good match. But she went about it the way she's gone about it. And now she's going to beat Tay's ass she likes to show off. And then we got the uh, first match in the TBS Women's Championship Tournament. It was Penelope Ford versus Ruby Soho. And you'll never guess what happened, Hamlet. The bunny <laughs> came down because, of course, can do. It's the same match every week. I get it. Look, these are a twosome and they often help each other out. But I had a bit of a rant on the Rampage review about the fact that the Tay and Jay matches every week no matter who they're involved with go the exact same way in terms of a post-match beatdown it didn't happen the, quite the same way here but it was certainly copy my homework but make it look like you haven't copied my homework look the most important thing is ruby soho won look bunny came down uh distracted soho that allowed ford to take her down as we go to the ad break uh when we come back for uh ford gets hit with a big backdrop suplex so soho can make a comeback uh ford goes to that back bend at one point and soho just picked her up uh and just manhandled her ford hit a cutter out of nowhere to get a near fall back heel kick double knee gut buster another close pinfall attempt from penelope ford uh and as she's trying to get the Brass knocks from the bunny. The referee spots it. He gets caught under his feet. He tries to kick them out of the ring as she goes after them. Soho rolls her up. One, two, three. Sort of steals one as well, which I'm not best pleased about when it comes to Ruby Soho. She's better than that. Um, And then, yes, it looks like there's going to be yet another post-match attack from Ford and the bunny. But out comes Red Velvet to even the odds and chase the heels out of the ring. It's going to be Soho versus Chris Statlander in the next round. And I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, I had issues with elements of this, Hamlet. I had issues with all of it, to be honest. I think this was a major, major disappointment. Um, Really, really like Penelope Ford. Uh, And it does at least... uh, The booking's not been great, you're right. But it does at least feel like her constant placement on television is a show of faith from AEW that she's... They want her as this regular figure rather than somebody that pops up, has a great match, and then disappears. Um, But this was not a great match. And all the more disappointing because I I feel like I'm seeing a little bit too much of this from Ruby Soho. She is so over 
and yeah. she is a big star and it she feels like an enormous presence in this division and that goes a long way and to be honest it goes further than the match quality she just feels like a big deal thus the division is elevated thus should she win the title or compete for the title that'll all feel elevated and that's great I'm not that convinced on the matches so far and I think this was a bit of a turning point for me where I went from just having patience and having understanding and acceptance of just how, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how valuable the star quality is to kind of thinking ah, I need the matches to come together this was sloppy and hesitant we always say this about botches botches don't matter on their own and you know we'll certainly get to that shortly we're not just going to pick on botches but it's kind of all about how they feed into the context of the match and your enjoyment of it and there was a few times here where i felt myself taken out of it by the amount of hesitation mm-hmm. and the fact that they didn't really seem on the same page the finish was like needlessly complex again against ultimately what i principally love so much about the tbs tournament which is a load of matches, singles matches, that have the potential to be bangers that get people talking about the women's division with a certain parity to the men's. And instead, you kind of over-egg the pudding by the by the end. You've got interference, you've got cheating, and I understand heels cheat, I do get that. But you've got something that ultimately generates, again, a bit of a stolen finish that requires the beatdown, that requires the save. So we've got... Um, Red Velvet as Ruby Soho's number two, Ruby and Red. I think that's quite nice, but nonetheless, and you know, you can all we know from this division that it's going to build to this endless stream of tag matches that again feeds back into singles matches. So it doesn't, it doesn't particularly like get all the synapses firing about all the the cool booking or the dream. Like it's not like the men's division where you can imagine so and so pairing off with so and so. It's just like right, this is just going to lead to a series of tag matches and yeah. singles matches, the feuds over. It doesn't, it doesn't feel that dynamic, and on. The Britt Baker promo that came before this, just I guess while we're on the women's division packaged together as it was here, um, and maybe I'm being too sensitive to the fact that she's a heel and she's supposed to say heelish things and she's supposed to attack the um, credibility of Tay Conti. Mm. Like with the line about like, all you've done is shake your ass. The, the problem to me here wasn't that, that specific line. Britt Baker's a villain. Okay, mm-hmm. so like it's being implied that Britt Baker would try to, um, th- that she would try to undermine Tay Conti, but it does sort of steer away from it's a bit WWE that rather than you're supposed to do, you might be this and this and this, but I'm better. That's that's the rule, you know, mm-hmm. that's how you get this over. You might be A, B, and C, but unfortunately, I'm D, and that trumps all of them. This was a little bit WWE and the fact that all you've done is shake your ass, and because it was Tony Schiavone there, who's you know effectively on Britt Baker's chair squad she, he couldn't play the authoritative voice that another interviewer might have done just to say well hang on actually Tay's top of the rankings mm. she's done it the exact way you did which is racking up the wins and I, I'm not expecting Britt Baker to want to put that over but I just felt like that was missing slightly Yeah, because if she says oh yeah you've won all the matches big deal you know if the way I say it all you've really done is shake your ass at least then yeah I agree is, yeah I get where you're coming from huge difference but it just it, there was nobody there, Brit included, to kind of get that across. And off the back of a pretty moribund setup on Rampage, they're probably like in what the the backstage hood of AEW, where you can't stand still for five minutes without getting decked. Hmm. It probably needs a little bit more investing into it. No, I agree. I, I think you're right in the way that they should present that. And like you say with the Soho match, surely a better finish. Although you wouldn't have got Red Velvet running out to make the save. Well, maybe you could have. You could have just had the bunny try and attack her from behind and and you know get some revenge for Penelope for but 
Why doesn't Penelope Ford go after the brass knocks? The referee gets distracted. She picks them up, puts them on. She looks very pleased with herself, turns around straight into a, whatever they're calling a riot kick now. And then that just looks far better than, oh, Ruby Soho has had to resort to a bit of a roll-up out of nowhere to beat, beat Penelope Ford in the first round. I don't know, but like you say, I feel like both of these things could have been done better if they'd spent more than five minutes thinking about them. MJF was cutting a promo backstage uh, with his best mate, Sean Spears, who's just... Uh, uh, he's sort of weirdly sexually obsessed with that chair for me. A little bit too much. He's a little, I'm, I'm loving it, really, though. Uh, and Wardlow comes in and insists to know what on earth all that was about with MJF last week. And MJF plays a bit dumb and Wardlow explains, you know, he pushed him into Sting and got out of Dodge. And MJF says, well, yeah, sorry about that. It was kind of fight or flight. It, it won't happen again. But uh, you've been... Don't, doing so well recently, you have, and that's why I pay you the big bucks. But maybe it's all becoming a bit too much. So I'm going to sign you an accountability buddy, and that is going to be Sean Spears. And before either of those two men can react to that, MJF's got to head off for a meeting, good chat and all that. And Wardlow turns, turns to Spears, who just goes, hey. <laughs> oh, man, this is so brilliant. This is so great. So, so two things have happened here. MJF sensing that he can no longer um, mentally and verbally manipulate Wardlow. Like the hurdles that he has put up over the years, you know, don't forget who pays you. Whatever it is that he's been able to get into Wardlow's head with, he senses those barriers are starting to crumble. Wardlow's asking questions a bit too much, a bit too much for his liking. So instead, he has put up a physical one in the form of Sean Spears and his chair. And I guess by extension, Tully Blanchard, right? Mm. But we're now going to get, while MJF, believes he can sleep soundly at night we're gonna get uh mjf uh, sorry wardlow and sean spears together as a tag team for a while um where you know wardlow's gonna do loads of the hard work loads of the heavy lifting gonna look awesome in short bursts mm -hmm. while obviously sean spears works the bulk of the match and they're gonna have like some moderate tag team success i would imagine together as a, mm -hmm. as a tag team representation of the pinnacle aside from ftr something like that um and MJF is going to think, great, that's that little Wardlow problem taken off. Uh, like, I'm, I wasn't able to manipulate him anymore, so I've done that instead. I can just stop thinking about that. And then gradually over time, Sean Spears shagging a chair is going to do Wardlow's head in, as it would absolutely <laughs> anybody. There's going to be miscommunication. There's going to be trouble. And Wardlow is finally going to snap. He's finally going to go for MJF's throat. And Sean Spears in his steel chair is immediately in Wardlow's way. So even when they deliver the breakup, the moment, whatever, Wardlow still can't get to him, can he? You can already see him still being held back and MJF running a mile while Sean Spears, if you remember Sean Spears, the very first labour of Chris Jericho will mm -hmm. now be the very first labour of Wardlow when he finally wants to get his hands around MJF's neck. <laughs> Such like an inspired choice for the long term and set to be piss funny and brilliant in the short term. Great. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Well, let's continue with uh, Bobby Fish versus Anthony Green. Uh, love the look of Anthony Green, by the way, uh, especially <laughs> as we head towards November. A lot of inspiration for me there. Um, <laughs> this was relatively brief. Uh, Fish just uses his MMA background. So just, just smash people about a bit, basically. Green did hit a uh, rope work crossbody, which looked great. Uh, but Fish, yeah, kicks him all over the place. Last right, big old kick to the head. One, two, three. Post-match, he can't help himself, though. He attacks after the bell, beats him down, ground and bound, until who should run out to make the save? And this is calling back to that tease from earlier, Hamlet. And one CM Punk to set up a match between the two of them this week, no doubt. Yeah. Um, where, where shall I start on this? Let's see the punk thing thing first. Um, yeah. So the match was what it was. And obviously, Punk and Anthony Green have got a prior relationship that just none of us knew about. Was Punk a big fan of August Grey on NXT? Is that what it I is? Think, I think from what I know is... CM Punk likes Anthony Green. He's got heart. That's all I know, to, to, to use the words of Bob Wagner. <laughs> like, fine, I guess. Look, you'll find no bigger cheerleader of this CM Punk run than me. You know, I will show generosity in the face of a lot of people. Well, a, a portion of people based on a, a vote I put on Twitter. Around sort of 30% or there or thereabouts of people that are like less than impressed with the same punk run. The reality is, of course, somewhere in the middle. I just wanted Twitter's extremes to show themselves because what's the point in any compromise and something like that? But it just felt a little bit mm. on, I think. Like CM Punk has made the save. Fine. Bobby Fish's attack felt a bit tacked on. He'd beat him. Mm. Like it's not again, like you made the, the Von Wagner joke. It is, but like, oh, this is so like Bobby Fish to keep on the attack after the match. Is it? He's wrestled like twice. No, <laughs> oh, that boy, he's always beating people down, Bobby Fish. Somebody needs to do something about this, like Anthony Green's like long-standing best friend CM Punk. All <laughs> of it. So it's like honestly, it's sort of this match plus question mark equals Bobby Fish versus CM Punk. <laughs> a, load, a load of stuff nobody ever realised. Oh, okay, fine. So, like, really jarring, 
lack of attention paid to this, considering that it's AEW. I criticise this because I hold the company to a very, very high standard, high standard that they have set. So if this happens on an episode of Monday Night Raw, fine. Like a good guy has come out to help another good guy because a bad guy was feeling like a particular dickhead that week. Mm. There's, there are far more egregious crimes on every Raw than that. But on AEW, it sort of stuck out like a sore thumb. Why is Bobby Fish doing this? Why is CM Punk the one to make the save? What's the relationship between Green and CM Punk? Like, they'll answer all these questions. This is the thing. They'll do this thing where Anthony Green and CM Punk will have, like, a backstage conversation or something. Or I, I don't know if CM Punk will do being the elite. But, you know, there'll be some sort of YouTube thing where we'll learn whatever about why like why Punk was there. He'll do a promo or, like, I hear a lot of people wondering what is my inverted commas, relationship with Anthony Green. I don't have a relationship with Anthony Green. I have a relationship with all the young guys in that locker room. Bobby Fish is not one of those young guys. You know, something like that. Mm. You can tie all this together easily enough. It's just weird that they hadn't already done it. I was in the back and someone said, Punk, you got to come quick. MJF's killing Sting. So I ran as fast as I could. (laughs) Got a little bit lost. And by the time I got out there, I thought, well, uh, MJF looks a little bit different. And it's a Sting... uh, Sting growing his hair back? Uh, and then I found out it was two different, completely different attacks. But uh, made the save anyway. Bobby Fish, see you, uh, see you next week. Am I misremembering this? Or was it when, um, did Cody not make a save once in Daly's place and Excalibur had to explain that the showers are a long way away or something? Yeah, yeah. Cody wrestled that night. Like, oh, you do, it's a huge building backstage. Cody was in the shower. It takes ages. He had a towel around his Man was wearing a towel. That bit in Monty Python when the bloke keeps running at them and not getting any closer is Cody Rhodes trying to make the save. Uh, right, let's like the match, by the way, just to say this is obviously stuff for the preview fodder. It's a really interesting match. And yeah. I've already found a booked a scenario that ends up with Bobby Fish being in Team Taz. Like, there's a lot of ways that this can go. <laughs> I just found it odd that we got there. Yeah, it was surreal. But uh, it continued with a backstage promo with Dante Martin and Leo Rush. I love Dante Martin, but he couldn't look to have looked any more wooden if he was a tree here. But anyway, Leo Rush is great. He uh, He's mentoring Dante, of course. He's showing that anything is possible as long as he's got the tools. Uh, and it's something that Matt Seidel hasn't done since meeting him. Dante says, wait a second there, Leo. <laughs> it was just awful. But anyway, Matt Seidel is one of the best in the world. Leo says, I give it, I gave him his chance uh, to show he was best in the world and he was crap. And I bet you can beat your side, Al. You're better than him. So you know what? I booked this in a tag match. Again, he's gone to, to Tony, in his words, and sort mm-hmm. themselves a tag match. It'll be Leo Rush and Dante Martin against the Seidel brothers. What did you think of this? I mean, your voice has destroyed Dante Martin forever, and he's one of the best athletes in AEW. So. Yeah, he's, he's a sensational athlete. This just really stuck out for me as, right, wait till he says this line, and then you have to defend the honour of Matt Seidel. Got it. Quite incredible. I love, right, so one of the details I really like about this, because for me, I, I we all love Leo Rush. This goes back years of how much we love Leo Rush. But a lot of this has felt a bit Matt Hardy light, hasn't it? Mm. Guy comes in, Rich has confusing amounts of access to Tony Khan. With which, <laughs> yeah. Like, are we expected to believe that he's paying off a billionaire? Like, you get yourself something nice. Well, I will. But <laughs> money. Like, the, well, my dad's money. Um, it's just like, <laughs> it's so that's a bit weird. And I'm not a big fan of um, 
we've covered this as well. The wrestlers making the matches in AEW is not great, is it? No. Like all of them kind of calling their own shots like this. Just it's, it makes you ask questions of the administration of it. And that, that's no fun. But what I really do like, I've got my whinge out of the way. Leo Rush is so tone deaf or he loves the smell of his own farts so much, right? That he is coming and he has split up the makeshift tag team of Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. Just because. Just because yeah. he sees money in Dante Martin. He's like, I'm going to try and milk this cow and I'm going to take this cash, right? So he splits this tag team up. Matt Seidel reunites with his brother, and then Leo Rush is like, huh, them two brothers never needed you. Me and you, we're going to take on the Seidels with a guy who is awaiting the return of his brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that detail so much. The arrogance of Leo Rush to think that this is where he should step in. when, And I don't know when it is, but when Darius Martin gets the return, and Don is just like, and I mean, now you've said it, he's going to do it like this. I don't need you. I have my brother. But like, <laughs> that's where this is all going. And of course, it's leading to, oh, Leo Rush versus Dante Martin. Oh, that match is going to rule. So we're fine. We're fine where it all goes. But I just, it's all a bit, uh, a bit sports entertainment-y, but I, I really enjoy those little details hmm. of Leo Rush thinking, we need to take out those brothers, me and you, because you haven't got another partner, your actual brother. Great. I'm the closest thing you've got to family in this company. Yeah. Tremendous. Uh, right, this roller coaster of dynamite took a hell of a turn next. It was Lance Archer versus Eddie Kingston uh, again to see who progresses to face Brian Danielson in the AW World Championship Eliminated Tournament. Uh, it's kind of hard to discuss this match without mentioning the, the big botch uh, slash injury that happened in it. Look, Lance Archer was dominating Eddie Kingston, was battering him all over the place. Kingston attacked Archer as part of his entrance. Um, Archer actually pulled a fan out of the crowd and just threw him into Kingston a couple of times, chokeslam off the apron at one point as well. Um, so Archer is very dominant in all this. Some nice spots of him just, just wrecking Kingston in a corner and then just shouting down the lens. Anyway, he goes for a moonsault. Uh, a moonsault, I've talked to Andy about this early. We've seen him nail, you know, hundreds of times. And for whatever reason, he unfortunately, uh, Kingston moves out of the way and uh, Archer lands right on his head, uh, gets clearly knocked, knocked silly. Um, the referee's checking on him, the inside doctor's checking on him, and they very rapidly wrap this thing up. Uh, whilst saying it's an awkward sort of segue, this it was like <sighs> poor Lance Archer lands on his his head and his neck, and we obviously wish him well and hope he's he's doing well in his recovery. And instead of them suddenly, you know, changing tact and and saying, "Oh my God, that this could be really serious," they had to go moonsault. And there's Tony Nice <laughs> ringside. <laughs> Look at that guy! And I was like, "Oh, not the time, guys." I'm very excited to see Tony Nice in AEW, but. Not right now, yes. So in the end, Kingston rolls up Archer very quickly for a three count. Uh, awful to see this, though, Hamlet. Yeah, um, I mean, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's uh, it's only a slight under-rotation on a moonsault, but it's the fact that he kind of almost freezes in midair vertically. So it's the equivalent of giving yourself a unprotected pile driver. Mm. Just drills himself headfirst in the match from a vertical position like landing on his head and neck. It's really, really frightening. I describe it like that because if you haven't seen it, I wouldn't recommend going and check it out. It's really unpleasant. And they kind of get Eddie Kingston in there just enough to get the pin. 
uh, I don't know. There's not a lot to analyse here because I, like the match hadn't yet really got to that. No. Got into that gear particularly. Um, and then this occurs and, and it's over. We kind of predicted the results. So there's nothing. It's not one of them things where you feel like it's hijacked the booking because um, we kind of all thought Kingston would win. Archer has come out and said he's doing okay and AEW really looked after him. So there's no there's no sort of story to follow up. The, the, the getting back in there and doing the pin like felt a bit weird. You probably could have just awarded the match to Kingston and called it there and then. Mm-hmm. I, don't know if, I don't know if there's maybe like if you were up, if you were going to just do like extreme safety police stuff, maybe you could have just called it there and then and had Kingston. Especially in the aftermath of what was it, Sammy and Matt Hardy. I know some yeah. wrestlers will, you know, will want to finish the match, but you've got to protect them from themselves sometimes. Yeah, there's perhaps a, a better way to represent what should happen in these circumstances rather than this foolish belief that you do whatever you can to finish the match exactly as, as was intended. This wasn't that, but again, going at the pinfall. So, I'd, yeah, I don't know, just... It, I, Ultimately, Archer, we're, we're, we've got the benefit of recording this a couple of days after the scene. Archer said he's going to be all right. They got what they needed from the booking. And everyone's lucky, I guess, because so much of this could have gone so much worse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, then we got the men of the year and Dan Lambert there to reveal the stipulations from American top team to uh, TNT champion Sammy Guevara. Uh, Ethan Page is on the mic. Always great to hear him on there. I think he's a great promo. And uh, here he is to tell them why all of the inner circle sucks. He says he's heard about Jake Hager, but he's never seen him fight in MMA despite his undefeated record. All he does know is that Scorpio Sky pinned him at Grand Slam. He says, look, Santana and Ortiz, they're hard. They're from the streets. But the men of the year... We run the streets. Uh, and he says, turns his attention to Jericho, who he says isn't here, isn't for, isn't here tonight, which is fortunate because that means you get to hear Ethan Page on the mic. Uh, he said, last week you get, you know, everything you want. You even get to try and flirt with Page Van Zandt after you've lost. Well, the only thing you're going to be kissing is Jorge Masvidal's knee. He says, me and Sky, we are the future of this company. Not that PR nightmare, Sammy Guevara. Cue Sammy Guevara coming out. Uh, he says he's heard enough. To borrow a phrase from his friend, he asks Ethan Page to shut the hell. Please shut the hell up. Uh, all, all, you know, why is just Ethan Page just talking about how life's unfair? Why is he crying about it? Look, yes, sometimes life sucks, but he worked his ass off and now he's TNT champion. Uh, he says the reason Page is where he is, why he hasn't got any further, is because the only people who, he, who really care about his work is himself. And he says, let's get rid of all this bollocks. Let's just get to the point. Dan Lambert, what are the stipulations, you fat-faced dipsh for the match? Of course, the fans oblige with a chant and Dan pitches a fit. He gets on the mic and, oh, well, I'm going to get your thoughts on this at the end of it all. He says to Sammy to lighten up. He's proud of him. We all know what he can do in the ring, but look how good he was on the promo there. Maybe this will end the rumours of Sammy sucking on the stick. He says his brain has probably taken more brain damage from either all the 630s or the amount of hair gel he's got on. He says, look, you want your match at full gear, five on five deal, but only if next week you come to Dynamite and successfully, well, not even successfully, if you defend your title there, your TNT championship against Ethan Page. But if you lose, not only do you lose the title, you have to leave the inner circle forever. And Sammy responds by saying, you know what? 
you got a deal, but only in the stipulation that if I win, I get to pick the three members of American top team who partner with the men of the year when it comes to that five on five match. And uh, Scorpio Sky leaps on the mic and says, look, seems you're such an accepting mood. How about you can accept this beat down? And they walk up the ramp, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. A brawl breaks out, but here, then here come Jake Hager and Proud and Powerful to make the save and chase off the men of the year. Exciting stipulations, bad, badly worded in terms of how you sold this, in my opinion, Hamlet. And it's been reflected by Michael Sidgwick and I've no doubt yourself in terms of your reaction to it. Oh, massively, man. It's not on. And, you know, I know that there'll be like some fans, A, that don't care, or B, would rather that we not, in, probably in their minds, bleat on about this sort of thing. But this programme has been guilty of it. But AEW in general has more of a... Um, like, I, and, like, I've thought this about the show in general in a lot of other ways. And I don't like seeing it in the form of, like, tacit... Is it even tacit homophobia or is it just homophobia? But there's, like, there's always been quite a dude-bro energy about AEW. And sometimes that's for the good of programmes and you get some really great heat and you get some cool beat downs and you get the kind of real all action visuals that pro wrestling benefits from. But then sometimes you get that, just that feeling that this idea that AEW is for everyone and it, it is a more modern product and it doesn't think through the mind of a 75 year old man that hates everyone and everything. But <laughs> the group think of a young dynamic billionaires kid and some of the best wrestlers in the world mm. and this diverse crop of talent and staff and people that are involved in this company it works very hard for the earned title of being the babyface promotion mm. it works very hard for that and then just every now and then it sort of shows its dark side and it's, it's quite unpleasant it's jarring because so much of it is good mm. I, think that's, I think that's what it is for me I think it, it shows itself too often and you're just like ah, oh, no there's stuff that needs ironing out there there's a because that isn't it's not just on say in this case it was dan lambert but just in previous weeks it's been chris jericho there's been quite a few occasions where it's been chris jericho it's on this sense that maybe the administration is not as good as it should be hmm. you know if you think of max caster's rap they were able to rectify that after the fact but how did it make it onto television yes how was this line ticked off or how like is this that thing where you've got creative expression, but then Tony Khan said after the Max Caster thing, well, I'm gonna do final sign-off and everything. I want my talent to feel like they can like be themselves, but everything will be getting final sign-off from me. By that implication, did mm -hmm. this have final sign-off? And if this had final sign-off, are the values still not quite right? You know? Um, and I it's just a shame, it's a real shame. They can and should, and you would like to think will do better. But I felt a lot for anybody that felt alienated by this mm. because I did. And, you know, I'm not personally affected by these remarks, but that's never the point ever. No. It's about anybody that could be. It's about, um, it's not about intent. It's about impact. Mm. And this is one of those lines that doesn't necessarily think about the impact it could have on some people. That, to one side, I actually thought all of this was very overthought. Like, Sammy, of course, is going to take the match because he's a baby face. But is it not a bit like, well, you lose your title. That's what that's what American top team have got. <laughs> yes. 
the title, not splitting up the inner circle. <laughs> <laughs> Lifting Sammy out of, I'd be, you know, I know Sammy's got to do it because he's babyface. I'd be like, no, I'm not agreeing to those terms. <laughs> why, why would I want to lose my belt and be out on my arse and not be in the group? So the whole thing felt a bit overthought. The idea that, you know, we're getting into the weeds of picking partners and stuff like that. There's roughly five or six of them that hang around. I just do the five, you know, like uh, all of that to me was a little bit messy and a little bit clumsy. Do, do Guevara defending the title next week by all means. Um, I just and we know we're getting the five on five. I mean, if we're not getting the five on five, Sammy Guevara's out the inner circle. So then, what a four on four? <laughs> just you've either telegraphed the ending, or you've created the most bizarre scenario in which Sammy Guevara is excommuted from the um, inner circle. Ethan Page is the TNT champion. He's not defending the belt of the pay per view, and you're having a four on four match instead of a five on five. I, I thought this was a really odd way to go about all of this. Yes, it was a hat on a hat to borrow a phrase. Uh, terrifying promo next from John Moxley, who looks like a tired dad at the end of his tether. Uh, he said he's supposed to be yelling and screaming about the tournament, but instead he's thinking about his daughter. Uh, and he realised he doesn't care about any of all this. Ratings, championships, anything, all that bollocks. What he cares about is getting home in one piece. It'd be easier if uh, he was in a different job, but he's not. He's in this job. And for that to happen, for him to get home safe, other people have to get hurt. And his message to everyone else in the tournament, I'll get you before you get me. Oh, my God, Hamlet. So fantastic. I wish we could just do a podcast. I mean, it feels like we do sometimes a podcast a week on how great the John Moxley promo was. Uh, it feels like we've been doing this for about 18 months now. So the, the John Moxley heel turn continues in all of its splendor because nothing he is doing, if you really, really think about it, isn't justified. Mm. This week, it's beating up people so he can get home to his baby daughter. He is doing what he's going to do to 10 because he's a good father. That is the message of this. And he'll make it quick for him. He's doing it for her. He's not He's not bludgeoning 10 to be nasty. He didn't destroy Wheeler Utah because he's angry at the world and he's violent. He did it because he's a good dad. <laughs> just amazing. Just the most incredible rationale. And again, fantastic in the short term, brilliant in the long term. All the best AEW promos are. What else is great about this? is that the final that we've all predicted from the day the brackets came out, John Moxley versus Brian Danielson. Is this not going to stick in the back of Brian Danielson's brain and being like, so hang on, just because I love all of this, does that make me a bad father? <laughs> I, got, I got kids too, John. Like, just amazing. He is, you know that promo he cut the week before Punk came back, where he was talking about um, how he's like... Sick, was it before Punk came back or was it before Cole and Brian debuted? But it was like, huh, all these big names coming in lately. And he was just lining up feud after feud after feud as like AW's angriest man, which I just thought, was <laughs> yes, we've got that here where he's uh, he signposted that he's going to fight Daniel Bryan because he believes he's a better father than Daniel Bryan is. But did you spot what else he said in this? Like, I'm gonna have to fight, it's not some sort of stupid climb a ladder random draw. So he's taking a pop at Hangman Page, isn't he? He's pretty pissed, pretty pissed off for Hangman Page now as well. He's still pissed off for Kenny Omega because he took his title. Yeah. He's, still, he's now pissed off for Hangman Page. Hangman Page could get the title. Put your hands together. You've got your John Moxley as his first opponent. Like, it's, it's brilliant. It's This booking is brilliant, and they've got it in the hands of the best man to deliver the booking. Awesome. 
Uh, fun little segment as well, following that from the Dark Order. They meet up with Hangman Page and they're all, sorry, sorry, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. Oh, lovely to see you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they're not all going to agree, but they're going to fight the elite next week. And if they're going to do that, you know, it's nearly Halloween, time for everyone to get costumes. Evil Uno's going to be Bambi. And uh, they argue as we head towards next week. So maybe we can have some fun on the dine. Oh, no, we can't. Oh, bollocks. We can't have fun on the Dynamite preview next week, this week, because there isn't going to be one. Oh, why not? We have a very, very busy day uh, on Wednesday. There is a massive day of filming here at What Culture, and unfortunately, the trade-off may well be no Dynamite preview. And there will be an NXT review, but it will just be a day late. So apologies in advance for that. I'll keep you posted on social media, at Adam Wilborn, for all the latest on that. We have never done this in the history of what culture ever, but could we perhaps record a preview a, a day earlier than we would normally? Is that possible? Oof. I've never known that. And we we oh. always do our coverage immediately after a show ends or immediately before a show. If Raw on a Monday is happening on a Monday night, Monday no, 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 no. we record that preview on a Monday afternoon. We definitely never recorded one the prior Thursday. That has <laughs> never happened in the history of what culture. Right, we shall see. We have, I will warn you, tomorrow is very busy because I have to do dress rehearsals for what we've got. Uh, this is a teaser of a different kind. Something big is coming to what culture's YouTube channel. And I think in which channel? And to the answer to that is yes. Ah. So there's, there's your answer. But uh, yeah, I'll, we'll hopefully maybe get around to it, but it might be slightly briefer preview yeah. for, for Dynamite. But we'll work something out, no doubt, if we can... Uh, if we can in the time uh, that we have. There's not enough hours in the day, basically. There is not enough hours in the goddamn day. And I realise I'm saying this to a father of two. We'll hide a, a Dynamite preview in the Raw review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to be fair, yeah, maybe I'll introduce a double skip policy on the Raw review to <laughs> save a bit of time. Anyway, let's continue with the recap of this Dynamite, uh, where we got Brandon Cutler versus Jungle Boy, very <laughs> briefly. Um I don't know why. I still quite enjoy watching Brandon Cutler in the ring. Uh, maybe it was from that moment he did the dabbing elbow and I went, this guy's all right. Uh, <laughs> but yes, Jungle Boy batted him, sent him to the outside. This crazy dive flew out there. Uh, got me slightly concerned he was going to litter himself as he did it, to be perfectly honest, but he didn't. Uh, Cutler fought back and went for a off surprise and got sent over, over Jungle Boy's head. Jungle Boy power bombs in, puts him in the snare trap, gets the submission victory, of course. Post-match, Jungle Boy gets on the mic. Huge crowd reaction for him as well, waving arms and singing along to Baltimore, of course. And he says, well, that was a nice warm-up. I'm still feeling good. I'm ready to go again. Uh, and, he, and he's effing and jeffing. Anyone from the elite uh, wants to come out and have a fight, let's have it out sort of thing. Nobody does, so he puts Cutler in the snare trap again. Who's there going, somebody help me. When out comes Adam Cole, baby. Calls Jungle Boy an embarrassment. He says, why don't we have a fight right here, right now? Cole walks down to the ring, jumps up on the apron, gets knocked off it. Jungle Boy clocks him in the head, but then Jungle Boy turns around into double super kicks from the Young Bucks. They drag him up to the top of the rank. BTE trigger. Uh, Adam Cole hits the boom, the last shot, as it used to be known. And then you think, right, OK, well, they've got that. And fans are chatting for Luchasaurus. He ain't coming to save him because Jungle Boy gets kissed on the face as, as Adam Cole berates him, kissed on the face by the Young Bucks. And then they throw him off the stage. 
thrown <laughs> off the stage in front of the commentators through a table. Spectacular spot. What did you make of all this? Really impressive, right? Because on the show that we've already had a pretty hefty heat heel beatdown, very, very, very heat driven with MJF and the Pinnacle and Sting. To do two is gutsy. And I thought they got away with it because this just felt completely different. Um, Jungle Boy's dive, like what is going on in wrestling at the moment? Was was Darby Allen like throwing down the gauntlet or something? Yeah. When the CM Punk said, I, I don't know why people do dives because Darby Allen's is the best. Mm. So Sammy Guevara, Roman Reigns, and now Jungle Boy have all gone, like, hold our beers. But and, and luckily CM Punk can hold them and he won't drink them. So that's a benefit. <laughs> like, because dives are good again. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they're not running shoves. They're awesome, and I, I don't want to see massive injuries. But I do enjoy watching wrestlers compete to see who can do the most incredible dive. So more of that, please, because it actually has impact. Jungle Boy was great here, and the beatdown was like really effective and really unnecessarily cruel. I think the the table spot that you pointed out was oh, it's not over yet. Just highlighted how much a gang of dickheads the elite are. And how Cole has got this this beating coming from Jungle Boy. You know, like Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus in general haven't tended to get the big wins. Mm. You know, they get these great moments. Jungle Boy has this awesome moment against Kenny Omega, but it's never quite enough. As wild as this would have sounded about six, seven weeks ago, it feels like Adam Cole is the big win for Jungle Boy, doesn't it? He's been in the company five minutes. Mm-hmm. And now it's like... Jungle Boy's going to get this huge win over long-tenured AEW star Adam Cole. <laughs> like He could beat Adam Cole now, and he's going to get this huge win. Or Cole wins, and it just further establishes him as being even better than Kenny Omega, perhaps. I don't know. But, yeah, really, really like this. Really want the singles match. Um, that Cole has been narked and felt threatened by Jungle Boy since he's arrived in AEW is great. Um, and Brandon Cutler, yes, I have to share your enthusiasm. It would it would be unfair of us to go through this without putting him over um, because he knows his role. He performs it fantastically well. Um, and unlike, here we go, here's the comparison. Unlike the kind of irritating when he's not supposed to be, Alex Abraham is, I think Brandon Cutler is as vital a part of the Super Elite's presentation as Kenny Omega, genuinely. <laughs> One can't be without the other. Like, I love him. I just love him. Uh, right, when he gets to this main event. Before that, though, a promo from uh, Miro Vignette talking to his god. Uh, he says his wife needs her champion back. Um, they could make him fight a hundred times. He'll snap a hundred necks. Not because they want him, because he will leave them with no choice. He's going to hold his wife with blood on his hands, and that's on you. Shock horror, another terrifyingly brilliant Miro promo. But let's get to this main event. Malachi Black, Cody Rhodes, Three. Oh, and this was without doubt the most controversial of the lot. Uh, early on, Cody goes for the figure four black, gouges Cody's eyes. He rolls, rolls to the floor. Um, uh, Malachi Black goes after him, sends him back into the ring and grabs a chair from underneath it as uh, Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson come out to ringside and they like snatch the chair from Malachi Black as he's seemingly setting up whilst we're in break to, to nail uh, Cody Rhodes. Was this no DQ? I, I, I must, did I miss this? No, not that I was aware. That, right, okay, I, I thought I this because I was watching this and they were in break and then Cody hit a crossroads through a table and I went, I'm sorry, what? Regardless, Cody Rhodes hits crossroads through a table in break, in the commercial break, 
They come back. Both men uh, are busted wide open. And Arn Anderson uh, is, is getting in the ring, trying to motivate Cody to get back in. When who should walk out on the ramp? But Andrade El Idolo, he reiterates the gun gesture that we saw uh, Arn point towards him on Rampage on Friday night. And out comes the assistant of Andrade to try and jump on Anderson, who gets hit with a spine buster, but then Arn turns around into a black mist from Malachi Black. Pack runs out and brawls with Andrade to take him out of things. Black, though, back in control. Springboard moonsault, but Cody pops up and hits a crossroads for a near fall. Crowd really not on his side here. Uh, Black climbs the ropes, uh, hits the double stomp from the top rope, hits a rising knee. German suplex bridge, that gets a near fall. Hits that spinning heel kick of his, but Cody collapses into the ropes. When he gets back up, Cody gets sent out to the floor. He dodges a moonsault, hits a tope suicida, then hits a huge Cody cutter, crossroads, Tiger Driver 98, one, two, three, a bloodied Cody Rhodes finally gets a win over Malachi Black. And uh, yeah, this was one without, uh, not without controversy here, Hamplet. Yeah. Um, I mean, the match was... Pretty great. Yeah. Uh, fiery affair. Um, there was a period a little while ago where AEW had they massively, massively normalised the bloody climactic battle. It felt like kind of like a paper cut was in the agent end of every single match. And they pulled back a little bit on that. And even just doing that made the blood feel quite powerful here for me. I don't know if that works for everybody, but I just thought, oh, yeah, this is... You know, we can now present this as a blood feud figuratively and literally. They've both bled for this. Um, but it feels like it feels like it'll be one of the more forgotten matches in AEW history because all people will want to talk about is the result and the outcome, mm. and what it all represents. The match was very good. Um, Cedric is always keen to reference um, Malachi Black's leg sweep. And I just think there's something about the way Cody sells it that makes it look particularly violent. Like he's, he's like he slices from the ankles downwards with a chainsaw. That leg sweep is so impressive. <laughs> So I got I want to give Cody some credit because I feel like he's probably gonna get a bit more stick. Um this this result, right? I'm not gonna sit here and compare Cody to Triple H for winning this match when it didn't feel like he needed. Nor am I gonna say it, and this is perhaps the most important point when I've looked at the debate about what's gone on with this finish and how people feel about it. Nobody thinks that Malachi Black is doomed as a result of this loss. I think anybody arguing that Cody has somehow killed mm. Malachi Black's momentum and missing the point entirely here. Malachi Black will be fine. Everybody has to lose sometimes. There is an argument to be made that, um, you know, Malachi Black had got under Cody's skin in a kind of like the second match, he sort of snuck the win a bit. Do you remember he hit the mist mm -hmm. and he, I'm picturing him on his arse celebrating mm. on the ramp rather than compared to the dominant first win. So I do think Malachi Black will be fine. He isn't as over as he was after the squash. And he yeah. perhaps isn't as over as he would have been had he just gone two and beaten. But he's over. He'll move on to his next program. And I think he'll be okay. I don't think that's the issue here. I'm repeating a little bit of what I said on Twitter. The vibe just doesn't feel right. Like a lot of people, like I could hear the groans over Twitter. They were that loud about yeah. Cody winning. And it's just... It just doesn't feel right that Cody won this program, that Cody won again. Cody's victories have tested the patience 
Got his victories against Penta when he no sold the arm. Mm-hmm. Against Agogo when he recovered from the punch. And now from Malachi Black. Like that no sell was so needless. If Cody was going to win, why did you put a no sell spot in the match? Because he's getting enough from the win. Like he doesn't need the no sell as well. And that just the vibes are bad. Um, he looked like he was teasing a pedigree. So again, this is one of them things where some might argue Cody knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew that this conversation would happen after he won. So he, he put things in there instinctively to cut some of that off at the pass and say, look, I know you're all starting to compare me to Triple H. So I'm going to do a pedigree tease and I'm going to ignore this chorus of booze and believe myself to be the conquering hero, to book myself to be the conquering hero. But even if he's doing that, and even if he's doing this Cody thing where he doesn't believe in heels and baby faces and he just, he's thinking on another level and all that sort of stuff, maybe the thinking on another level isn't working here. Mm, because no, I agree. Fans weren't riding the same ride as him. Just because he's on this particular ride, it doesn't mean that everybody's on there with him. And I, and, I, and I think that's personally what the problem is here. I don't think the energy is right around this thing. And if we're speaking strictly about the story, right? AEW is a storytelling promotion. If you were thinking specifically about the story, what is actually the story here? It's not a very good one. Story is, uh, Cody Rhodes is so cocky that he gets battered by Malachi Black. Battered by him. Humiliated and humbled mm, by him. Yeah. And he mulls over retiring, right? And then he just doesn't retire. And not only does he not retire, he comes pretty close to beating Malachi Black had it not been for two things. One is sympathy for Arn Anderson and Malachi Black having the mist. If it's not for those things, he beats him. Mm. And he beats him without any sort of... We didn't get the Rocky Three story, did we? No. We, he just kind of came back and nearly, nearly had him had it not been for Arn Anderson falling on his ass and Malachi Black having the mist. Those were the only two things. So from that, we move to Arn burning his tie... <laughs> uh, gaslighting him for not shooting carjackers and Cody getting bloodied up by the nightmare factory and that's apparently enough to have him beat Malachi Black like even as a story it's not very good no so it's one thing if Cody believes that he's kind of doing this he's, he's just thinking on another level to the rest of us and one of these days it's not going to be a turn because he's not a heel, but the Cody character is going to become fully formed into this new version of itself. And we're all going to have to go, that Cody man, like he was working as like a pro back in that third Malachi Black match. Like the energy's not right. Mm. So even if the payoff is awesome at the end, and I was saying this just four or five days ago, I was saying I have absolute faith that wherever this goes, it's going to be worth it. Like I'm not so sure it is now because this story from beginning to end has been kind of lame. And if they're folding Cody into... So we've got Pac in this world now. We've got Andrade in this world now. Um, you had that pretty amazing visual of all the ex-NXT champions, Black, Pac, and Malachi Black, <laughs> uh, all together, um, the three of them in the ring. Um, is Cody going to be part of that? Is Cody like, right, line me up one of these guys and I'll face him at full gear because he's going to do the big Triple H thing and think he's, he's the big guy? It's just, I don't know. I, I just don't feel good about it at all. And it's nothing, I, I don't think Malachi Black's buried. And if you think that's the problem, you're looking at the wrong problem. Yeah, I don't know how I'd have felt about this had this gone down with no crowd, for example, because I feel like the crowd has, has also affected my opinion of it all. But yeah, I was dreading a Cody Rhodes win by the end of it. And when it happened, like you say, the groans were audible uh, across 
not just you know the arena but uh, social media as well and the even more concerning thing I was chatting to Cedric about this before we came in is the uh, here we go the law of black now because apparently despite the fact that he lost this match he is celebrating a victory because he has changed Cody Rhodes. Oh, God. Oh, and no. To quote Michael Sidgwick, you shouldn't care about that. You care about mother flipping championships, except he didn't say flipping. Okay. So well, I, mean, I haven't seen on the, the I've not seen asterisks on the AW rankings thing of getting three wins if you change Cody Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get bonus points for it. Yeah, I just thought this was all wrong in terms of... I mean, it, like the moment they booked a, tr- a third match, you were thinking, well, he can't go 0-3. But even so, there's a way to maybe present that that doesn't completely undercut this Malachi Black character that I felt this kind of did, if I'm perfectly honest. And uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see where they go from here uh, this week. But uh, it's going to be a hard sell, isn't it? I just Yeah, and that's the point. Why give yourself a hard sell? We say this about WWE all the time. Why make the work for yourself? Um, Cody will, I'm sure, if he's got a big grand plan in mind, he'll be an advocate of being patient. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know how like let it play out and see where it goes was always a thing to like take the piss out of WWE with. Mm-hmm. It's actually true in AW. You do let it play out, you do see where it goes, you are immensely rewarded. But what they've done with Cody in a way that I can't remember any other time except perhaps the best friends and Miro and Kip Sabian. Mm. They have stopped a lot of people wanting to see it play out. Yes, exactly. And, and that's the biggest issue. Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch so you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts already out today are SmackDown and Rampage reviews. And we'll be looking ahead to Monday Night Raw in a little while as well. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.